I have, as usual, a very new-timey illustration ripped from the headlines. Excellent. It's from The Guardian, which is an old-timey newspaper that's still functioning. Thousands of baptisms invalidated by priests' use of the wrong word. I'm oh, sure some I of you heard this. Thousands... Thousands of baptisms at a Catholic church in Arizona have been invalidated because a priest used the wrong words in performing the ceremony. Father Anders Arango resigned from the St. Gregory, this makes me so sad, resigned from the St. Gregory Parish Church in Phoenix earlier this month after diocese leaders discovered he had mistakenly used the phrase, we baptize you instead of I baptize you for years. His error means that countless baptisms, an irrevocable requirement for salvation in Catholic theology, will have to be performed again, and some churchgoers could find their marriages are not recognized. Quote, an invalid baptism invalidates any subsequent sacraments, especially confirmation, marriage, and holy orders, the Diocese of Phoenix said in a webpage intended to answer parishioners' questions. In announcing the priest's resignation, the Bishop of Phoenix, Thomas Olmsted, urged churchgoers to, quote, join me in praying for Father Anders, whom we've just ruined, and for all of those who are going to be impacted by this unfortunate situation. The contrite Father Arango, meanwhile, has sought forgiveness in his own message to the faithful. It saddens me to learn that I have performed invalid baptisms throughout my ministry as a priest by regularly using an incorrect formula, he wrote. I deeply regret my error and know that this has affected numerous people in your parish and elsewhere, adding he would remain a priest and, quote, dedicate my energy and full-time ministry to help remedy this and heal those affected. The fount on knowledge on this matter is the Vatican's 2020 Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, which, along with declaring COVID-19 vaccines morally acceptable, also spelled out the correct words that needed to be used during baptisms. The congregation affirms that baptisms administered with modified formulas are invalid, including, we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the Vatican announced. Uh, the issue with using we, they say, is, not the, is, is that it is not the community that baptizes a person. Rather, it is Christ and him alone who presides at all of the sacraments. And so it is Jesus Christ who baptizes. There's more. I won't read it. Um, that is a great example of the opposite of what we believe about sacraments. Uh, and I think it's also a great example of the sort of thing that people are often trying to distance themselves from when they don't use the word sacrament as a rule, but only use the word ordinance. But I think that to embrace the idea of sacraments that is taught in our confession uh, and in the catechism we're studying as a means of grace uh, that is the meeting of our faith and God's saving power uh, because he has ordained, because this is an ordinance uh, and because in this stuff is uh, both God at work and us receiving to, to emphasize one word. Now, granted, there was uh, some funky stuff that was being overturned in that original document, uh, that, that 2020 uh, congregation in which like someone had just freestyled a really strange uh, formula that ended with, we baptize you in the, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, but invalid? Now, different Protestants would have different views on whether they would have been valid to begin with, I suppose, 
Um, but for that to make them invalid and therefore to mean your marriage is not recognized by the church. Your, if, you've, if someone came from that church and then joined the priesthood, you are not, your ordination is invalid. Uh, even your receiving of the Lord's Supper again and again, none of those have been a valid sacrament because someone said a different word when you were a baby and weren't even really paying attention. Uh, to me, that is a very stark contrast uh, from our understanding as Baptists that this stuff requires the faith of the individual in order for it to be sacramental in any way, and that it has far more to do with the heart than the amount of water, the words exactly that are spoken, apart from needing to have what Jesus said. Uh, so we left off last time uh, talking a little Greek, uh, baptizo, the word that is often uh, claimed by Baptists to mean dip and only dip, dip completely, and uh, dip, you know, maybe even if you read enough church fathers, you'll find how many seconds you have to hold that person underwater. Um, and I explained to you how you can not really make a decent case for this word, meaning dip and only dip, based on how it's used both in the Bible and in extra-biblical uh, Koine Greek and classical Greek. I mean, there's, there's just no way that this word has to require that. It would be like saying the English word wash demands that something be completely submerged. A lot of the times it is, but when I wash my car, I don't think I've ever submerged it completely in water. That's not good. Uh, and yet it's washed, it's clean. So the, the notion of the question of whether or not baptism requires immersion or the best mode is immersion should be separate from this linguistic funny play that says the word itself solves the problem. And I think the fact that people so easily gravitate toward that misnomer about the Greek shows that there is probably um, some, some weak evidence there for immersion being the only valid mode of baptism and all others being invalid, possibly invalidating the other sacrament as you take it because you're not baptized, etc. Other examples from uh, the New Testament where the word baptism itself even translated, and actually baptism and baptize are not uh, translations, but transliterations uh, because You'll hear from, you'll hear from, you know, some, the King James Bible chose to do that because if they translated the word, it would have said dip and that's not what they did. So they just made up this English word baptize, which is a, just ripping another word out of another language and plopping it down in ours. And then others would uh, say, no, 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 the opposite is true. And, um, which by the way is how like half of our language came to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Simply (laughs) saying this is a technical use of a broad term. And so we're going to technically put it into, the same thing is true of Eucharist. comes from uh, uh, Eucharisteo, which means to give thanks in Greek, uh, and, a, and a number of church words. They're, they're just pulled in in order to make them narrowly, technically, this thing. Apostles, another example. You could, in most cases in the New Testament, maybe not most, but uh, at least half probably, uh, about half, translate that missionary. We don't. Uh, the word apostolos, we just 
take it out of the Greek and plop it in because it's such a technical term the way that it's used in, in many times in the New Testament. Wouldn't deacon be another one? Yeah, exactly. You could say servants. The serv- yeah, great, great example. Yeah. And, and there's nothing nefarious going on with those. Why would we assume there is with baptized? So in, in the New Testament, we see uh, not only water baptism using that term, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's used interchangeably with references to the Spirit being poured out on believers. If these things are at odds with each other, then the Bible's got a little problem here. If, if, if You never see any reference to believers being dipped in the Spirit, right? Uh, but the baptism of the Spirit is the picture and the Spirit being poured out on. And that's, you know, Acts 1, 4, and 5, Acts 2, 33, Acts 10, 45. I've only wrote down a few. There's probably a lot more. I do believe, for the record, Jesus was dipped. That's the, the plainest understanding. Uh, certainly, it seems that the apostles were dipping. I don't ha- know how else you get Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch going down into the water, and he goes down in and comes up out of. You could say, as they went along the road, they looked down and there was a ditch, and so they went down into that water, and then he poured it on his head. But I think you're starting to, uh, this is a little dubious uh, translation and interpretation of that text. So that text is doubly helpful. I think it shows us that there's something to baptism beyond just a public profession or statement before the whole church because there's no whole church present and yet it's still valuable. There's nothing to keep him from being baptized. That's how he phrases it. What's to stop me? Nothing, as long as you believe in Jesus. And I think it cements for us that the mode was dipping, immersing. Uh, in the Bible. That is what we believe as Baptists, and yet there is a very wide spectrum of how tightly we hold it and how kind and welcoming we are to other Christians who have been baptized by other uh, modes. Uh, What did Jesus say about mode of baptism? Does anyone know? Nothing. (laughs) Baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's a bingo. Yes. That's it. Yeah, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. That's the mode. With water and in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And yet, there are traditions that don't even do that. That look at the other situations where it says they were baptized in the name of Jesus and say, see, that's how you do it. Even though Jesus specifically commanded us. Uh, in fact, we had a, a little bit of an issue here with a, a church that was meeting here about that very thing. So, I mean, there are lines that can be crossed, I think, where you're actually breaking commandments that are in the scriptures, but there's a lot of latitude. And I think that tells us that what's important about this is the symbolism, is God being at work, is the faith of the individual who is receiving. uh, And to get all tied up in every little detail, ready at any moment to drop the hammer and call this thing invalid, just smacks of Phariseeism to me. Only in the most ritualistic view, I think, can the amount of water be considered all important or even uh, very, very important. And the immersion-only view, if you, if you take it to an extreme, and this is always a little bit uh, logically dubious, I think, but if you take it to an extreme, you see that it's kind of goofy. What if we mentioned last week some hair staying out of the water? Right? Somebody's got some of that depth gel from the 90s and their hair is sticking straight up and, and they go under. But what if one finger uh, upon instant replay didn't go under? Is it invalid or one fingernail? 
And, and the, the opposite view can also be taken to a crazy extreme, which is if you're only using a tiny bit of water, is one drop enough? What about a little mist or something? And I think the fact that this is so goofy, again, points us away from all these, you know, checklist of requirements that are external and rather points us into the heart, into what is being done there, what is being received, what is being proclaimed, what the church is doing, what God is doing, what the individual intends to do there. Uh, and, and I think that moves us away from Phariseeism, away from I need to go and count the number of mint leaves on my windowsill so that I can tithe them. Let's uh, move on to the next question here, which is number 76. To whom is baptism to be administered? And the answer is, baptism is to be administered to all who actually profess repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and to none other. So the proper administration of baptism, repentance and faith. And you're going to find an awful lot of times in the scriptures where someone is told repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And then you're going to find situations in which whole households are baptized. And you have to say, are we to assume that those whole households were following the repent and be baptized model? Or are we to assume with no warrant whatsoever that every household has an infant in it and therefore household baptisms mean that infants are the proper subjects of baptism. How many people here have an infant in their household? Small sample, <laughs> right? So if Sean is the Philippian jailer, his household can be baptized without an infant being baptized. If Deborah is the, uh, she's like, my favorite days, there's an infant in my household, but um, did, were, were you going to uh, say something? Sam? I have a question, but we can finish this, what you're saying. You know I'll never stop, so go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just wondering, um, you know, the answer recognizes God and Jesus, but not the Holy Spirit. I'm wondering why that might be. Why is there no, I guess, I mean, obviously there is a need to recognize the Holy Spirit, but in this answer specifically. Yeah. Well, in identifying the subjects of baptism, repentance towards God faith in Jesus Christ, this sort of seems to be a tie to Romans 10.9, perhaps. Uh, confess with your lips, Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. Identifying people who have been born again by the power of God. I, I think they could have worked the Spirit in, but we're dealing with uh, a variation of a Presbyterian document. And, uh, you know, they haven't spoken to or of the Holy Spirit and century. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, Presbyterians. I love you. Um, I, I think it probably is just a relic of being very scholastic. And, and um, I, I don't know where. I, I think it seems like a complete answer to me as far as how the question is phrased. How would, how would you put the, the Holy Spirit into to whom is baptism to be administered? I mean, we could say the Holy Spirit indwells them and, and is at work in them. And that should be the case, but how do we as the church identify that? We can say, have you repented? We, and, and people can have seen that and the fruit of it. And do you confess your faith in him? And we can affirm that too. 
There's something so subjective about the spirit being at work and mysterious. Maybe that's why? I, I can't say. Aaron? It doesn't say repentance toward God the Father. It says repentance toward God, which includes the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The faith has to be specifically in Christ because if because you could repent toward God if you were Jewish but not have faith in Christ. Mm. Yeah, uh, but in the New Testament, when we see theos, God, it almost always means the Father. Um, and I think in Romans ten nine it it does, um, but yeah okay that could be an out uh, repentance toward the triune God and I mean we could have added belief in a triune God right I mean we could we could add more things I think there's a shorthand here that kind of presupposes all the questions that come before maybe that's a cop out on my part but it seems like it's kind of building yeah I I don't know Sam it seems to me like uh, it probably is just informed by and a, and a function of the guys who got together and did it. Well, and if you're moved to repentance and given the gift of faith, aren't those things that the Holy Spirit does? Right, right. Yeah, I, I think there is just a tendency in this tradition to sort of underplay, and maybe somewhat rightly so. I mean, the, the role of the Spirit seems to be pointing at the sun in the, in the church age, right? Building up the believers with gifts and just shining a spotlight on Jesus. So, um, I don't know, at the same time, we say in the Nicene Creed that he is together with the Father and Jesus, uh, properly, uh, what is it, uh, praised and, and glorified. Yeah, yeah, I think maybe this is just a forgotten God instance um, here. And, 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 and undoubtedly uh, sort of glossing over the role of the Spirit, uh, or at least not attributing the work of the Spirit to the Spirit is probably a weakness of, of this stuff, early Baptist stuff, Puritan stuff in general. Um, there, there is a, a tradition within Puritanism that, that emphasizes the Spirit, but that's not the, the tradition that the Baptist Church came out of. We had to, we had to get to it later. Do you have something else to say here? Okay. I mean, I always do. But... <laughs> so do I. Um, let's talk about open membership. Because I think that the question of baptism is tied very closely to church membership in Baptist churches. We have, in fact, if you put the B-A-P-T-I-S-T-S, Baptist acrostic acronym situation for the beliefs of the Baptist. Does anyone know that one by heart? What makes Baptist Baptist with the distinctives? Probably the first one's Believer's Baptist. Boom, yes. A is, and, and actually there's two different ways to do it. Um, A, the way that I like is autonomous local churches. P is for the priesthood of all believers, which we share with Lutherans and all Reformation Christians. Um, T, the first T is for two ordinances. I is for individual soul liberty. Uh, S for saved, baptized church membership. And then just so I don't leave you hanging, the other T for um, two offices, pastor, elder, and deacon. And then the last S is like something. Um, so save baptized church membership. We have a called out membership. We, so even in church traditions where they baptize infants, they sprinkle in infants, they're generally considered members of the community to some degree. And then it's kind of solidified at uh, confirmation, but or, or at first communion or, or, or some variation thereof. But... Uh, They'll say, welcome to the family of God, right? But in the Baptist church, you believe, then you're baptized. And in being baptized, my conviction now is 
you are being baptized into a church. And so the last few years I was at uh, Lake Louise, I had a number of kids saying, would you baptize me on Saturday in the lake? I, you know, I put my faith in Jesus. And I would say, better your pastor comes to pick you up and baptizes you in the lake. And maybe I'll go out there too and, and ask you some questions and I'll be part of it if you want to do, you know, camp kind of experience to be part of this. Um, but at the very least, I need your pastor's blessing. And I made it very clear early on when any of my youth kids are there, if you're thinking of baptizing them, you better call me because I'm going to be uh, on a rampage if I find out that you're out there undertaking, administering this sacrament, this ordinance to members of my congregation or, or family members of my congregation without any sense of them being baptized into a church. You've got to be baptized into something. Uh, and so... The connection here then becomes how do you treat people in your midst who want to join the church but have been baptized either by a different mode of baptism, aspersion or effusion, sprinkling or pouring, or even as infants and have no desire to be rebaptized but want to belong. Uh, and that has been a very contentious issue. Uh, Aaron and I we, uh, were part of a just Baptist blow up about this once. Uh, and I was ready for that again here. I'm like, I, I got to have open communion and open membership because that's the most Baptist way to approach things. Uh, that's the Bunyan way. That's the uh, halfway, the Spurgeon way. But uh, many Baptists and Bible churches will only accept into membership, full membership, those who have been baptized by immersion, some of them only those who've been baptized by immersion by a Baptist. And anyone else who wishes to join, in fact, I belong to two different churches at different times that had a, quote, associate membership, which is like a second tier. I know of a church where you get half a vote if you're one of those, and I'm like, I think given history in this country, maybe, no, don't do that. Um, it, it just smacks of elitism uh, and... That's the least Baptist thing to say, broad tent, but you're not a full member of the community. Um, like, you're probably not going to hell, but we don't really right. welcome you're, you here either. You're probably not going to hell, but you maybe aren't going to heaven. And maybe you're going to go to, <laughs> yeah, you're going to be like one of those limbo people, or the, the purgatory is real, but only for you. I don't know. Um, the, so the, I think the real question here is, do we view these things as invalid? Um, like, like in the New Timey Sermon illustration. Uh, and... It's, it's a hard thing to grapple with, I think. And I know that we, as Baptists, have a reputation for being very exclusive. It's probably earned in recent history. you got to go back to our origins and say that's not how our forebearers approached these things. Look at Providence, the history of Providence, and Newport, uh, Rhode Island in general, its existence, the unprecedented nature of a settlement, a colony eventually, where you could have people of different religious stripes side by side. And now granted, also, Roger Williams had this nutty idea that you could be a heathen or a Muslim or a Jew and also live there and not get kicked out into the winter to die. <laughs> that was kind of our contribution to this whole America thing. But within the Christian community, there was an acknowledgement. Now, they debate each other all day long, uh, but... At the end of the day, there was an acknowledgement that God's kingdom is bigger than our movement, which is an odd thing. Historically, it's, it's 
unusual to run into. And today, sadly, I think in a lot of Baptist churches, it's, it's unusual to run into. You have to acknowledge that it's just, I mean, what kind of arrogance and what kind of ecclesiology is involved in saying 99% of all professing Christians throughout uh, the church age, including St. Augustine, St. Francis, Aquinas, Calvin, Luther, were not baptized. Their baptisms were invalid. Uh, I don't know. It, 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 it weirds me out a little bit, but at the same time, if we acknowledge the truth of this, to whom is baptism to be administered, and I do, the proper subjects of it are those who actually profess repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and to no other, how do you get around it? It's a real quag, if you will. Um, I have a question. If, like myself, I was baptized full some, how do you pronounce it? Immersion? Immersion. And I went forward because the Spirit moved me and then I was baptized in the Baptist church. So my question is, should I get baptized again? Because I, I'm struggling with my religion. I love your church because you study the scriptures. I just don't know where I'm at, you know, as far as being baptized. Did you believe in Jesus the first time you were baptized? Oh, you bet I did. Then no, you should never be rebaptized. You should, you should think back to your baptism as a, a great. Uh, sign and seal of what God has done and is doing in, in your heart and in your life. Certainly. Uh, it, it's, here, here's, I think, where you have to land. And you have to start a- answering questions like this. Does God withhold the Holy Spirit or his gifts, spiritual gifts, gifts of newness of life from those who are baptized as infants and confirmed in their faith? Well, I've never felt that way. I was, I was baptized as an infant. Mm-hmm. Peter was baptized as an infant. Just us three? Oh, man. And, and in fact, when we wanted to join a Baptist church, not this church, but um, Bethel, we had to go and meet with, you know, whoever, elders, yeah. deacons, a uh, group of them. And I distinctly remember the pastor saying, we really want you to be baptized. Um, it's part of you know our culture and um, our belief and a part of our membership. And I said, look, I was baptized. I've been baptized. I know I was baptized. God knows I was baptized. I'm okay <laughs> that you people don't know that I was baptized. <laughs> I've tried to live. You know, I was raised in a family where I went to church every Sunday. Um, if that's not okay with you. I really don't want to be a part of your church anyway. So um, it almost seems like this is some sort of a club that I have to be initiated into, and I have no interest in that. So if that's what this is about, then count me out. This is not for me. Hmm. What was your answer? The answer of the pastor was, that was an excellent answer. We accept your basis. <laughs> He's just scared of you. Um, <laughs> See, and I have so that. Oh, I'm sorry. That's open membership, which was already established by Tom Bays before me, so I didn't have to slug that out with anybody. I do really encourage anyone joining our church who hasn't been baptized by immersion to be baptized. And every year, every time it comes up, 
I encourage it more strongly. Uh, and I think it's incredibly important for people to be able to remember their baptism. I, I've talked recently about how it's so ironic that the churches that generally tell people to call to mind their baptism are those that generally sprinkle babies, so they really can't call to mind their baptism. I think we should be t- saying it far more. Remember your baptism. Uh, let this re- uh, bring to mind your baptism uh, into the Lord Jesus. But we certainly, yeah, recognize that those who were confirmed in a different tradition, not those who were just sprinkled, forgot about it, never really attended, and then come here and say, oh, no, I was baptized. If, if you hadn't been confirmed, uh, I, I don't even consider welcoming someone into membership without being baptized uh, by immersion. But yeah, it's. It, it, I think good Christians differ on this. Good Baptists differ on this. Aaron, what are you saying? Yeah, so my experience was I was baptized as a baby and was confirmed and at the time of my confirmation believed everything that I was saying and I never had a time when I didn't believe that. So I looked at that as valid and we belonged to a church. Well, I didn't belong to a church. We were going to a church um, that had this discussion of whether you could be a member without being baptized as an adult. And I had the same sort of reaction as you did. Like, mm-hmm. I'm the, I am baptized, I am a believer. Right. Um, and I didn't feel like, at that time, I thought, I'm going to be a problem for my husband, who's going to be a Baptist pastor, but I don't want to get rebaptized because I feel like I'm going to be a problem. I have to believe that I should get rebaptized. Right. And so it wasn't until I actually had that conviction, like, I do believe that I should be baptized as an adult. I want to be. Um, but I didn't want to do it in that church. And I, we did it at Lake Louise. And um, one of the pastors who married us, who was Zach's childhood pastor, was the pastor who baptized me. And it wasn't into that specific church. And I had a lot of negative feelings because of the way that they approached it. But I'm like, the people up here know a lot more about my spiritual life than the people at that church because we hadn't been going there that long but i really didn't want to do it for the wrong reason just because okay this is how i can belong to this church right you didn't want to be a problem for me it was it was in her vows she said i will be a problem for you i could have been a way bigger problem (laughs) so zach what did you say about the, the holy spirit working in the lives of baptized people just a second ago I, I, I said one of the questions you have to grapple with as a Baptist is whether God withholds the gifts from those who are not baptized by immersion. And I think Alex in the back sort of nodded his head. I don't know if he was agreeing you have to grapple with the question or answering it yes. I don't think that can be possible. Otherwise, most of church history... Yeah, was like fakey gifts. gifts. Yeah, yeah, and... and the Holy Spirit works in non-believers' lives, too. Exactly. I mean, the guy that we're talking about, the king of, what's his name? Hajj. Yeah, Hajj. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's worked in his life. He kept him up at night and, uh, right, right. and all that stuff. So. I guess when we talk about receiving gifts, though, we're talking about being indwelled by the Spirit. The Spirit, I mean, ultimately, sanctification is a work of the Spirit in us. And I, I, I can't join, I can't link arms too firmly with Baptists who are going to say any Christian from before the, <laughs> before the 17th century yeah. and after whenever, the 3rd or 4th century or whatever, there was just... that. Now you're getting into kind of a restorationist approach to church history where Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against her and immediately the gates of hell prevailed against her, but then we came along and the Baptists struck back and we recaptured the kingdom. What? Or you get into this 
fantasy revisionist history like the Trail of Blood, where you say there's always been Baptists, they've just been underground, and they've been called other things. And then you go back and look at what they've been called, and you're like, you've just listed 19 groups of heretics. Those aren't, <laughs> those aren't Baptists. Um, I think you, you really have to have a odd ecclesiology and an odd view of what the church is and how, the, how God works in the midst of his people um, you know, I, when I just taught this Baptist history slash membership class a couple weeks ago, I always shared this comic where it's a guy teaching a membership class in membership class, how meta, and uh, he's got, he's drawing like a flow chart and it starts with one line which branches into like four and, to, and by the time it gets uh, 13 generations in, it's filling the whole whiteboard and there's probably, you know, 300, 500 little branches coming off of this thing. And he's circling one of them and saying, and here's where our movement came along and finally got the Bible right. Uh, <laughs> come me out on that, right? I think that to come with humility, I, I will happily worship with any other Christian church that affirms the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed and teaches that salvation comes by believing in Jesus' death and resurrection for our forgiveness and, and justification. I mean, that no, no brainer slam dunk. And that is, again, I, I don't think we want to keep going back to the, the Baptist tradition instead of the scriptures, but as Baptists, we believe the Baptist tradition is rooted in scripture, and that's where we've always been. We will have open membership. Granted, the particular Baptists early on, when kind of recovering some doctrines, did what all the reformers tended to do, which is to go to an extreme and say the only valid baptisms or the only truly biblical baptisms are, are by immersion of believers. But it doesn't take long before, again, I point back to Bunyan. He's, he's actually, for obvious reasons, coming up and, and kind of tying with Spurgeon is, is one of my, and, and, and Alexander um, McLaren, another great uh, Scottish Baptist preacher, uh, as believing that Christians of all stripes are the subjects of, of the Spirit's work in them, are the recipients of God's grace, are our fellow, are our co-heirs of the, the kingdom, an eternal kingdom. And when we, you know, there's the old joke, it's told of several different denominations, but mostly of Baptists, where there's the tour of heaven and, you know, there's the room where there's like disco balls and tambourines and stage dives. And like, ah, oh, it's the Pentecostal quarter. And then you get to like, you know, the, I don't know, fish fry or something. And this is where the Roman Catholics who get here wind up. And then you go down to the other corner of the hall and it's dead silence. And St. Peter says, shh, this is where the Baptists are. And I think they're the only ones here. Ha, ha, ha. It's not how the early Baptists and the drafters of the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith or this catechism intended our movement to operate and certainly would be, are probably rolling over in their graves right now or at least rolling their eyes in heaven uh, at seeing that this is often the case. Uh, in the American Baptist churches, uh, which is the denomination we're a part of, there is a resolution from 1925 that says only immersed members would be allowed as delegates in the convention. But that has since been withdrawn. So within our broader denomination, there is even a kind of uh, progression back toward uh, a, an open membership understanding. Uh, and in most, the, the, the two churches that I belonged to that had an associate membership were both American Baptist churches. And one of them, while I was there, 
nuked that, and the other one since I've left has done the same, probably along with rules that say uh, you can't dance. We do have early Baptist support for the idea. Here's a quote from John Bunyan. The Church of Christ hath no warrant to keep out of the communion the Christian that is discovered to be a visible saint. That was his, as a pastor, his approach. You are a visible saint. I, I see all the fruit at work. I'm not going to go through your ecclesiastical pedigree with a fine-tooth comb looking for something that invalidates you. A wrong word, a wrong mode, whatever. I'm going to keep you in the faith because I can help build you up. And if I kick you out, all I'm going to do is hurt your faith. And maybe if I bring in somebody whose understanding of baptism isn't quite right even uh, by saying, yeah, come on into the church. We can teach you and walk with you uh, along that road rather than say, you're out. Uh, You don't need to require believers baptism by immersion to have regenerate church membership. That, I think, is the bottom line. That is often the bullet point in the acrostic people will point to. Baptized, saved church membership. uh, And ultimately, regenerate church membership is how you want to frame it if you're not forcing an acronym. Regenerate church membership, meaning we don't give a vote to people who are the unbaptized, unbelieving children of Christians in our midst, the, the person who attends because uh, they're in a small town and in order to run for city council, you've got to be a member in good standing of a church, et cetera, et cetera. Rather, the regenerate church membership simply means that you've repented and believed and are born again. Adding baptism to it, I think, is probably safe, but not required. Uh, and I think if you, if you do add baptism because you think it's required in order to have regenerate church membership, you've now granted baptism, ironically, this magical, superstitious, uh, medieval, that we're trying to get away from, status and function. Anybody have any thoughts on all this? I feel like I'm just kind of free associating up here, and I can tell people are itching to say something. Call me a heretic. I don't care. It's fine. I'll denounce you from the pulpit later, but... (laughs) Uh, Ephesians 4, 6 speaks of one God, one faith, one baptism. That's a uh, formula that's been used both by people like myself to say, see, Baptists are correct in widely embracing Christians of all uh, traditions as one church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and simultaneously used by incredibly exclusive Uh, Baptist to say, you see, there's only one baptism, and that's the immersion one. And so you can't have a church uh, or even a church universal that tolerates more than one baptism, sprinkly ones and baby ones and dippy ones and all this. Uh, You got to pick one uh, because otherwise what comes next? More than one faith? More than one Lord? Come on, it's a slippery slope. Anyone have thoughts on that? I'm just baiting you now. Why are you guys so docile today? Okay, um, I do think that uh, when the the desire to be rebaptized often comes out of, like Aaron says, the the wrong motive to uh, appease someone else, and I think if that's the reason for rebaptism, if Cindy would have said, "I really don't want to do this, but I like your church and my husband's joining, and I want to just uh, you know go the path of least resistance," 
that would not have been great. Now we're taking something that's holy and an ordinance and a sacrament and just kind of making it a, a tool for avoiding awkwardness. I think that we have to be careful about demanding and, and rewarding these things too. In some traditions, you know, there are gifts that are given um, at baptism and people will be baptized then to receive many gifts. Uh, in some traditions, uh, you can get certain scholarships and things once you've been baptized and then allowed to join the church. I mean, there's all sorts of ways. I mean, it kind of comes back to the same thing where Aaron's friend went up at the altar call because after you said the prayer to ask Jesus into your heart, you got a muffin and they were hungry. <laughs> Careful with that kind of transactional grace. Uh, once it's transactional, it's not grace anymore. I think we'll I think we'll stop there. I want to talk uh, a bit about the history of the Anabaptists and and how that fits into a lot of this stuff. I want to dip into a couple other uh, catechisms, including Keech's catechism, which is probably at least as good as the one that we've been studying. Uh, and then also look at what the Westminster has to say. Talk about whether baptism does replace circumcision. And if so, whether that means that it should be uh, applied to infants, and then move on to the Lord's Supper. Uh, Aaron, you want to close us in prayer? Sure. Uh, Lord, thank you for this beautiful sunny day and for the warmer weather. Um, thank you for bringing uh, so many people here this morning for Sunday school, for the kids who are thumping around upstairs, <laughs> and for Miss Jen. And um, we thank you for all the people that are going to come to the service. We pray that you would be working in the hearts of all of us as we take part in worship and um, being taught and edified, and that we would go out into our week um, strengthened to face what lies ahead and with the thought at the front of our mind that we are there working as um, servants of you and that you are our king and that we are spreading your kingdom.